throughout the New Testament. And so far, we've seen that we ought to thank God for total victory, for eternal grace, and for saving faith. And last week, we began to see that we ought to thank God for the gift of hope. This comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, in which Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. This is Paul lifting up a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the gift of hope. That's what he says. That's at the heart of his prayer. Paul says, we always thank God when we pray for you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul thanks God for the gift of hope. And if we are to follow Paul in that prayer, then that means that we have to develop a theology of hope ourselves. A theology of hope, just like Paul's, that will lead us into giving thanks to God. And so we began that, uh, that theology last week, looking at the definition and anticipations of biblical hope. And what we learned is that the definition of biblical hope is closely related to faith. And it is a confident expectation of the future that is based on the person and promises of God. Right? Faith is... Uh, relying on the person and promises of God for the present, hope is relying on the promises and persons of God for the future. A confident expectation of the future that's based on the person and promises of God. But what are those things that we are to confidently expect and anticipate for the future? What are the things that we are to hope, on, hope in and to focus on as believers? That's what we saw next in the anticipations of biblical hope last week, and I just touched on six. What we saw from the pages of Scripture is that believers place their hope in and their focus on the coming of Christ, the reception of glory, the resurrection of our bodies, the freedom from corruption, the fullness of righteousness, and the unending of that blessed life. This is the biblical hope that we as believers are to put on every single day as a helmet, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It is a confident expectation about the future that comes from knowing that Christ is coming. Glory is waiting. Our bodies will be resurrected. Our struggles will be ended. The fullness of God's righteousness will be experienced. And each and every day will be better than the last on and on and on into eternity. These are the anticipations of biblical hope. Tonight we're going to look at two other points in our theology of hope, and that is the results of biblical hope and the grounds of biblical hope. And I just need to let you know we're probably only going to look at the results of biblical hope tonight. I'm sorry. So, before we begin, let's ask the Lord to give us this hope described in Scripture through a knowledge of Him, His person, His promises through His Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the rich feast that is laid up for us in your word. Father, I thank you for each and every one of the verses that we looked at last week that we that we are going to look at tonight. We thank you that they are, as one Puritan put it, cordials for the weary pilgrim's soul. And Father, I just pray that you would help us as we take our journey through this life towards glory. That you would help us to take these truths and apply them to our lives. Help us to meditate on them. Help these truths to become a part of our lives so that we can live 
each and every day with the expectant hope that ought to characterize those who know Jesus. Father, I pray that you would, through our study of these truths, free us from discouragement, free us from despair, free us from fear, and give us that confident expectation of the future that honors and glorifies you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after considering the definition and the anticipations of what biblical hope is, let's look tonight at the results of biblical hope. In other words, if we set our minds on the coming of Christ to this world, if we set our minds on the reception of glory that is waiting us, if we set our minds on the resurrection of our bodies and what that means, the freedom from corruption and the fullness of God's righteousness which we'll experience, if we set our minds on all those eternal truths, how they will last forever and ever, and if we press those confident expectations of the future daily upon our minds like a helmet of hope, what will be the result in our lives? The answer is, according to Scripture, we will experience a growth in joy, in courage, in zeal, and in holiness. So first, we'll experience a growth in joy. Turn to Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you tonight, and I hope you do. Romans chapter 5. And in Romans 5, Paul begins to talk about the blessings of being justified. The blessings of being declared righteous by God through faith in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, Through Him, that is, through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope, of the glory of God. So Paul talks about here two present benefits of being justified and being saved here. The first is obtaining access into grace, which we'll enjoy tonight in prayer uh, as we approach the throne of grace. And the second benefit of being justified and declared righteous is rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. In other words, just as we saw last week, in Christ we have a hope of glory, right? We have, a, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for us. We have a future in which we will share in the very glory of God the Son himself. Well, Paul says here, do you know what that type of hope brings you? Do you know what having that confident expectation about the future brings to the human soul? It brings, he says, joy, rejoicing. It results in overflowing, erupting joy to the soul that has embraced these truths. And I need to be clear, by joy, I don't mean happiness, though joy can often look like happiness. But Paul nevertheless speaks in 2 Corinthians 6.10 of of sorrowing yet always rejoicing. So you can be having joy even when you're crying. So joy doesn't always look like happiness. What do I mean by joy? Joy, biblically defined, is a positive outlook and disposition on life. That is joy. A positive outlook and disposition on life. It's a positive outlook and disposition and it is an automatic emotional response to grasping biblical hope. Think about it. Think about it. Are these earthly kingdoms being shaken? Don't lose heart. 
We have a king who is coming for us. That's called joy. Are we suffering under mocking and reproaching? Don't lose heart. We have eternal glory waiting for us. Is your outer body or the body of a loved one broken and breaking down? Don't lose heart. We have a body of imperishable glory and power being prepared for us. That's joy. Are you struggling your battles daily against sin? Don't lose heart. There is freedom from corruption that is guaranteed for us who are in Christ. Are you weighed down by the unrighteousness and injustice of the world around you? Don't lose heart. There is a new heaven and a new earth coming in which only righteousness dwells. Are you being reminded of the speed and the shortness of this mortal earthly life? Don't lose heart. The eternal kind of life is coming to those in Christ. Do you see what I mean? If we have a confident expectation about the future, hope, then we should have a positive outlook and disposition about the future as well. Joy. Hope naturally produces joy. So that even in the midst of those trying circumstances and trials, we can, as Romans 12, 12 states, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. And even though we might sorrow, as 2 Corinthians 6, 10 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, we do not do so as those who have no hope. No, we have a hope. We have a firm and confident expectation about the future, that it is a future in which Christ is coming, glory is waiting, bodies will be resurrected, struggles will be ended, righteousness will be fully experienced, and every new day will be better than last. We have a hope, and therefore, believers rejoice in that. Believers have a positive outlook and disposition on life because they know what the future has in store. Let me put it this way. There are no Eeyores in the kingdom of God. That's what Scripture teaches. Because believers have hope. And because believers have hope, believers have or ought to have joy. And so as we grow in putting on our hope like a helmet, we will grow in our joy. We will grow in our joy. Second, we'll grow in our courage. We'll grow in our courage. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Here in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is comparing the ministry of the gospel to the ministry of the law. And he states that whereas the ministry of the law was only temporary and it led people only into condemnation and to no glory at all, the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the good news of Jesus Christ, it is permanent and it leads people to righteousness and to glory that far far surpasses, Paul says, all things. It's in light of that that Paul says in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, since we have this hope, we are very bold. In other words, because he had a confident expectation about what the gospel brings to the soul and future of someone who embraces Christ by faith, he didn't let anyone, Paul did not let anyone make him ashamed of the gospel. He didn't let anyone throw him off course or off message. Think about it. The Jews in that time, they prided themselves in their self-righteousness and their ceremonies. The Jews tried to intimidate Paul in his day because he wasn't a minister like them of the Mosaic ceremonies. By the way, that happens today as well. People likewise try to intimidate us as believers today because we are not ministers like them of sociology or psychology or social planning or social reform. 
Paul says, no, do not be intimidated by them. And don't be ashamed of focusing exclusively on ministering the gospel to souls because remember the hope that the gospel brings. Why, when someone by God's grace embraces the good news of Jesus Christ by faith, it transforms their entire destiny into one in which Christ is coming, glory is waiting, bodies will be resurrected, struggles will be ended, righteousness will be fully experienced, and each new day will be better than the last. This is the hope that the gospel, the gospel, and only the gospel brings. What hope, what sure hope, does social and political planning, reform, or involvement bring? What confident expectation of the future do these efforts bring to the human soul? Answer, none whatsoever. Therefore, knowing this, knowing the hope that Christ alone can bring, we give ourselves as God's people to the ministry of the gospel with full unashamed, as Paul says, very bold courage. For some seek signs, that's what we've been seeing in our morning services. Some seek wisdom, as we saw through our study in the book of Colossians. But we preach Christ crucified, though it be deemed a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. Knowing that we have such a hope, a confident expectation of the future that is found in Christ alone, that makes us very bold as believers. Hope produces courage. And so as we grow in putting on our hope like a helmet, we will grow in our joy. We will grow in our courage. Why do you think that the apostles were able to take a stand for Jesus Christ and preach the gospel even in the face of death? It is because they saw a risen Christ. They had hope. They had hope. And hope gave them courage. So when we grow in putting on our hope like a helmet, we will grow in our joy, we will grow in our courage. Third, we'll grow in our zeal. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrews is saying that he is sure that the congregation that he is writing to is predominantly saved because he remembers, he says in the previous verse of verse 10, he remembers their work and their labor of love that they showed for God's name in serving the saints. And then he says this in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of what? Hope. Until the end. Why? Verse 12. So that you may not be, he says, sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice what the author of Hebrews is saying. The degree in which our hope is assured will be the degree in which our zeal is fervent. Or to put it another way, you only live for God to the degree that you have your hope in God. One's zeal grows out of one's hope in God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, if you remember, after Paul talks about how death itself will be swallowed up in victory someday, he then concludes the passage, and we might think in an unusual way. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, in other words, in light of this future hope, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You say, well, why? Because knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
As Galatians 6, 9 says, we must not grow weary in doing good. Why? Because in due season we will reap. There is a season of reward coming. As Revelation twenty two twelve and following says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me. And then Jesus says, Therefore, wash your robes, do right, be holy. See, hope produces zeal. So the author of Hebrews, here in Hebrews 6, says, Man, we want to see you earnestly pursue a sureness of hope. Don't leave the future promises of God as the last thing you study in God's Word. We want to see you earnestly pursue a sureness of hope so that you would not be sluggish, but rather, having that confident expectation about the future, you would zealously and persistently strive to inherit the promises that God has put before you. Hope produces zeal. And so as we grow in putting on our biblical hope like a helmet, we will grow in our joy. As Christians, we'll grow in our courage. We'll grow in our zeal. And finally, we'll grow in our holiness. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. You always keep on looking in the previous verses before that. But anyway, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Then he says this in verse 2. Beloved... We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. What does that sound like? That sounds like biblical hope, right? Well then, what is this? One day that biblical hope, we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be pure and holy, free from corruption. And what does this hope result in? Verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in Him does what? purifies himself even as he is pure so if you're truly longing for that day when you will be like jesus right if i was going through those anticipations of biblical hope and i came to that point when i said one day you're going to be free from corruption one day you're going to experience god's righteousness in totality one day and if you sit there if you sat there and said man i cannot wait for that day when sin is gone and i just experience righteousness all day long if your heart was longing towards that the more you think about that guess what it's going to do it's going to make you long for that righteousness right now. Right now. If you're truly longing for that day when you will be like Jesus, if that is your heavenly hope, then that very desire will become your earthly pursuit. If you long for His likeness to become yours in the future, you will start to long for His likeness to become yours in the here and now. And in fact, you could almost flip that. If you have no concern for the righteousness of Christ in the here and now, I guarantee you're not looking forward to heaven. There's a purifying aspect to our hope. When your mind is preoccupied with the truth that one day you will stand in the presence of the totally pure Jesus and be like Him in perfect communion, that motivates you to be like Him in greater communion in the here and now. Purity grows out of biblical hope. That's why 2 Peter 3, 13-14 says this. Peter says this, But according to His promise... We are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's biblical hope. And what does it produce? Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Biblical hope produces holiness. 
When we think too much on the here and now, let's be honest, in our, in my, in our own lives, when we think too much on the here and now, on the immediate, it is easy to slide into a propensity towards sin and impurity, isn't it? After all, Hebrews 11.25 says that even sin is pleasurable for what? For a season, for a moment. But when we set our minds and our hearts on the hereafter, on the things that are eternal, we find our motivation to live a holy life. Because the day is coming when we will see the Lord. Therefore, looking forward to that day, Scripture calls us to be diligent, to be found by Him without spot or blemish or any such things. We are to purify ourselves having this hope. So as we grow in putting on our biblical hope like a helmet, we will grow in our joy, we will grow in our courage, we will grow in our zeal, and we will grow in our pursuit of holiness. These are the results of biblical hope. We'll have to finish with the grounds of biblical hope next week, which ties this all together into being a prayer of thanksgiving to God. But for tonight, I just want to share with you what hit me when I looked at this list. Because again, I'm just like you. I'm pulling out these pages of Scripture and verses and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are they saying and what categories to go into? And all of a sudden, start seeing these are the results that are being talked about. And it makes you examine yourself. When I looked at this list, when I consider the results of biblical hope, joy, courage, zeal, holiness, you know what my conclusion is? I need more biblical hope in my life. I need more biblical hope in my life. My view of the future is far too much affected by this world and the opinions of those living around me in it and not enough on the person and promises of the eternal God. I need more biblical hope in my life. And we need more biblical hope in our churches. We live at a time when we're being told that God's future promises don't really matter and should be neglected for more weightier matters. That is not true. We don't talk about the future promises of God enough as God's people, and you can see it all over the place, I would contend. We live in an American Christianity that is all but drained of real joy, biblical courage, godly zeal, and personal holiness. So what's the remedy? It's to return as God's people to the wellsprings of joy and courage, of zeal and sanctification. It's to return to the doctrines of biblical hope and to put them on us like a helmet. And so I'll tell you what I've tried to begin myself. I've begun to try to memorize all these verses that have to do with biblical hope, particularly those that have to do with the anticipation of biblical hope that we looked at last week. And I'd encourage you, if you've been struggling with spiritual discouragement, if you've been struggling with spiritual timidity, if you've been struggling with spiritual lethargy and sinful impulses, I'd encourage you as well to work on memorizing these verses. I have copies of this slide in the back if you didn't see it when you were coming in tonight. And I'd encourage you to pick that up and to work on putting on as a helmet the hope of your salvation. Because I don't know about you, but I could use more joy, more courage, more zeal, and more holiness in my pilgrimage in this life. In short, I could use more biblical hope. I think we all could. So let's strive and let's pray for each other tonight to put on as a helmet the hope of our salvation so that we might grow in joy, courage, zeal, and holiness until Christ, the fulfillment of all our hope, returns.